the Bible, a collection of 66 different books by around 40 different authors from many different backgrounds. There were kings and shepherds, soldiers, fishermen, doctors, poets and farmers. Some were young, some old, some rich, and some poor. And they wrote, each reflecting his own personality and style. From a wide variety of life circumstances. All the way from palace thrones and bedrooms. To the dungeons down in the palace basement. From seashores to mountaintops. And to the backsides of dry desert wastelands. In their books, the writers issued hundreds of specific future prophecies, all perfectly fulfilled or awaiting fulfillment. And they discuss every aspect of human life, hundreds of complicated and controversial topics. And yet, there is a unity and consistency of message in the Bible, from start to finish, that is nothing short of miraculous. Throughout history and today, millions of people around the globe call this book the Holy Bible, the very Word of God. It claims to be a self-revelation of the Supreme Being, the Creator Himself, stepping out of eternity into time and space to tell us and show us what He is like and to let us know His plan for our lives here on earth and in the hereafter. The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar is your chance to actually hear, discuss, and decide for yourself about this book, The Bible. Stay tuned, and at the very least, you'll hear the beauty, wisdom, romance, adventure, and intrigue of the world's greatest literature, the best-selling, most translated book of all history. But more importantly, God himself just might speak to your heart and change your life forever. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, Sophie Dollar. And a very good evening to you and yours. Thanks for joining us tonight for The Bible Live. As we once more gather around the book of books, this special opportunity we have in the evenings to gather around the Bible together, the entire Bible every year. We are well into the books of First and Second Samuel, at one time one book, one work of history, separated at the time of the translation of the scriptures from Hebrew to Greek. If I remember correctly, the scroll would only hold so much papyrus, and so they divided the thing into two so they could get it on the two scrolls, two rolls, if I remember correctly. Very interesting, the book of Samuel, coming right out of the book of the Judges. The last of the 12 Judges was Samson. Samson's was the story of unfulfilled potential. He did repent. He did come back to his relationship with God. And as his life moved on into eternity, of course, we're not sure what happened at that point. Let's just say unfulfilled potential. The same thing we're going to see happening here in the book of 1 Samuel. The opening seven chapters have to do with Eli and Samuel. Eli is the high priest at this time. He begins with promise and it ends badly with his children rebelling against his faith, rejecting God. We see the same thing happen with Samuel in his life with his children. And then, of course, we're seeing the same thing in Saul. We've seen him already be anointed by Samuel to be the first king of Israel. We'll see how he implodes as well and does not end well. So a lot of the themes that we'll be looking at in terms of the human lives will be about staying with God and ending well. Before we get into 1 Samuel, though, let's turn to Psalm chapter 56, trusting in God's care in the midst of fear and difficulty. When all seems dark, God is still there with us. Psalm 56. Oh God, have mercy on me. The enemy troops press in on me. My foes attack me all day long. 
My slanderers hound me constantly, and many are boldly attacking me. But when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. O God, I praise your word. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? They are always twisting what I say. They spend their days plotting ways to harm me. They come together to spy on me, watching my every step, eager to kill me. Don't let them get away with their wickedness. In your anger, O God, throw them to the ground. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. On the very day I call to you for help, my enemies will retreat. This I know. God is on my side. O oh God, I praise your word. Yes, Lord, I praise your word. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? I will fulfill my vows to you, O God, and offer a sacrifice of thanks for your help. For you have rescued me from death. You have kept my feet from slipping. So now I can walk in your presence, O God, in your life-giving light. End of reading, Psalm 56. The crowd is kind and quick to pull you. You're listening to The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Our relationship with God gives us courage. Sometimes people think that knowing God, walking by faith, and trusting Him would make us passive, less willing to take risks in life. And yet I found it's just the other way around. The more I rest in the Lord, the more I depend upon His power at work within me, His assurances of victory, His assurances of blessing. The less fear there is, and the more I'm willing to stick my neck out and take that step of faith whether it means talking to someone about Christ that I meet during the day or just being obedient to the Lord when it comes to my influence and my finances or other areas of my life. The more I know him, the more he makes me want to be brave. We're having a great opportunity to see that as we watch these individuals in the book of Samuel. This is a great book for character study whether it's watching the progress and the experience of Eli, this priest that takes in Samuel to be his mentor, or whether it's Samuel himself as we see him grow in the Lord, whether it's Saul coming in with a certain shyness to him that kind of is attractive to us. Then we see that that shyness was sort of a camouflage for quite a self-obsession. Then we get to watch Jonathan, the young son of Saul. We get to watch him and his relationship with David, his young friend. And David as well, younger brother of a large family that gets anointed as king of Israel. We get to watch these men and women as they relate to God and find out what are the attitudes that God looks for in our lives. Let's watch them together as we pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 14 tonight on The Bible Life. 1 Samuel 14:24 through 17, 19. 1 Samuel 14. Now the men of Israel were worn out that day, because Saul had made them take an oath, saying, Let a curse fall on anyone who eats before evening. 
before I have full revenge on my enemies. So no one ate a thing all day, even though they found honeycomb on the ground in the forest. They didn't even touch the honey because they all feared the oath they had taken. But Jonathan had not heard his father's command, and he dipped a stick into a piece of honeycomb and ate the honey. After he had eaten it, he felt much better. But one of the men saw him and said, Your father made the army take a strict oath that anyone who eats food today will be cursed. That is why everyone is weary and faint. My father has made trouble for us all, Jonathan exclaimed. A command like that only hurts us. See how much better I feel now that I have eaten this little bit of honey. If the men had been allowed to eat freely from the food they found among our enemies, think how many more we could have killed. But hungry as they were, they chased and killed the Philistines all day from Michmash to Aijalon, growing more and more faint. That evening they flew upon the battle plunder and butchered the sheep, cattle, and calves, but they ate them without draining the blood. Someone reported to Saul, Look, the men are sinning against the Lord by eating meat that still has blood in it. That is very wrong, Saul said. Find a large stone and roll it over here. Then go out among the troops and tell them, Bring the cattle and sheep here to kill them and drain the blood. Do not sin against the Lord by eating meat with the blood still in it. So that night all the troops brought their animals and slaughtered them there. And Saul built an altar to the Lord, the first one he had ever built. Then Saul said, Let's chase the Philistines all night and destroy every last one of them. His men replied, We'll do whatever you think is best. But the priest said, Let's ask God first. So Saul asked God, Should we go after the Philistines? Will you help us defeat them? But God made no reply that day. Then Saul said to the leaders, Something's wrong. I want all my army commanders to come here. We must find out what sin was committed today. I vow by the name of the Lord who rescued Israel that the sinner will surely die, even if it is my own son, Jonathan. But no one would tell him what the trouble was. Then Saul said, Jonathan and I will stand over here, and all of you stand over there. And the people agreed. Then Saul prayed, O Lord, God of Israel, please show us who is guilty and who is innocent. Are Jonathan and I guilty, or is the sin among the others? And Jonathan and Saul were chosen as the guilty ones, and the people were declared innocent. Then Saul said, Now choose between me and Jonathan. And Jonathan was shown to be the guilty one. Tell me what you have done, Saul demanded of Jonathan. I tasted a little honey, Jonathan admitted. It was only a little bit on the end of a stick. Does that deserve death? Yes, Jonathan, Saul said. You must die. May God strike me dead if you are not executed for this. But the people broke in and said to Saul, Should Jonathan, who saved Israel today, die? Far from it. As surely as the Lord lives, not one hair on his head will be touched, for he has been used of God to do a mighty miracle today. So the people rescued Jonathan, and he was not put to death. Then Saul called back the army from chasing the Philistines, and the Philistines returned home. Now when Saul had secured his grasp on Israel's throne, he fought against his enemies in every direction, against Moab, Ammon, Edom, the kings of Zobah, and the Philistines. And wherever he turned, he was victorious. He did great deeds and conquered the Amalekites, saving Israel from all those who had plundered them. Saul's sons included Jonathan, Ishbosheth, and Malkishua. 
He also had two daughters, Merab, who was older, and Michael. Saul's wife was Ahinoam, the daughter of Ahimaaz. The commander of Saul's army was his cousin Abner, his uncle Ner's son. Abner's father Ner and Saul's father Kish were brothers. Both were sons of Abiel. The Israelites fought constantly with the Philistines throughout Saul's lifetime. So whenever Saul saw a young man who was brave and strong, he drafted him into his army. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. 1 Samuel 15. One day Samuel said to Saul, I anointed you king of Israel because the Lord told me to. Now listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I have decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation. Men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, camels, and donkeys. So Saul mobilized his army at Telaim. There were 200,000 troops in addition to 10,000 men from Judah. Then Saul went to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Saul sent this message to the Kenites. Move away from where the Amalekites live, or else you will die with them. For you were kind to the people of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites packed up and left. Then Saul slaughtered the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has again refused to obey me. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him Saul went to Carmel to set up a monument to himself. Then he went on to Gilgal. When Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I have carried out the Lord's command. Then what is all the bleeding of sheep and lowing of cattle I hear, Samuel demanded. It's true that the army spared the best of the sheep and cattle, Saul admitted, but they are going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We have destroyed everything else. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop! Listen to what the Lord told me last night. What was it, Saul asked, and Samuel told him. Although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, Go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do exactly what the Lord said not to do? But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep and cattle and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. But Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Obedience is far better than sacrifice. Listening to him is much better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as bad as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. So, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. Then Saul finally admitted, Yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command, for I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. Oh, please, 
Forgive my sin now and go with me to worship the Lord. But Samuel replied, I will not return with you. Since you have rejected the Lord's command, he has rejected you from being the king of Israel. As Samuel turned to go, Saul grabbed at him to try to hold him back and tore his robe. And Samuel said to him, See, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to someone else, one who is better than you. And he who is the glory of Israel will not lie, nor will he change his mind, for he is not human that he should change his mind. Then Saul pleaded again, I know I have sinned, but please at least honor me before the leaders and before my people by going with me to worship the Lord your God. So Samuel finally agreed and went with him, and Saul worshipped the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring King Agag to me. Agag arrived, full of smiles, for he thought, Surely the worst is over, and I have been spared. But Samuel said, As your sword has killed the sons of many mothers, now your mother will be childless. And Samuel cut Agag to pieces before the Lord at Gilgal. Then Samuel went home to Ramah, and Saul returned to his house at Gebeah. Samuel never went to meet with Saul again, but he mourned constantly for him. And the Lord was sorry he had ever made Saul king of Israel. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. 1 Samuel 16. Finally the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. Now fill your horn with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my new king. But Samuel asked, How can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed him. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the leaders of the town became afraid. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Yes, Samuel replied. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them too. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't make decisions the way you do. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at a person's thoughts and intentions. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, This is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shammah, but Samuel said, Neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was ruddy and handsome, with pleasant eyes. And the Lord said, This is the one. Anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the olive oil he had brought and poured it on David's head. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul, and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. Some of Saul's servants suggested a remedy. It is clear that a spirit from God is tormenting you, they said. 
Let us find a good musician to play the harp for you whenever the tormenting spirit is bothering you. The harp music will quiet you, and you will soon be well again. All right, Saul said. Find me someone who plays well and bring him here. One of the servants said to Saul, The son of Jesse is a talented harp player. Not only that, he is brave and strong and has good judgment. He is also a fine-looking young man, and the Lord is with him. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse to say, Send me your son David, the shepherd. Jesse responded by sending David to Saul, along with a young goat and a donkey loaded down with food and wine. So David went to Saul and served him. Saul liked David very much, and David became one of Saul's armor-bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, asking, Please let David join my staff, for I am very pleased with him. And whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp. Then Saul would feel better, and the tormenting spirit would go away. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. 1 Samuel 17 The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Soko in Judah and Azekah at Aphes Damim. Saul countered by gathering his troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was a giant of a man, measuring over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and a coat of mail that weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leggings, and he slung a bronze javelin over his back. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. An armor-bearer walked ahead of him, carrying a huge shield. Goliath stood and shouted across to the Israelites, Do you need a whole army to settle this? Choose someone to fight for you, and I will represent the Philistines. We will settle this dispute in single combat. If your man is able to kill me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel. Send me a man who will fight with me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Now David was the son of a man named Jesse, an Ephrathite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at that time, and he had eight sons in all. Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shammah, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was the youngest of Jesse's sons. Since David's three oldest brothers were in the army, they stayed with Saul's forces all the time. But David went back and forth between working for Saul and helping his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. For forty days, twice a day, morning and evening, the Philistine giant strutted in front of the Israelite army. One day Jesse said to David, Take this half bushel of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread to your brothers, and give these ten cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring me back a letter from them. David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. End of reading, 1 Samuel 14, 24 through 17, 19. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. We're looking at some very specific events in the life of Saul. 
His son Jonathan is the person that Saul wants to succeed him as king of Israel. And, of course, that's part of the tension that we will recognize in this passage tonight and in the passage tomorrow night as well. Jonathan doesn't share that view. He's willing, I think, but he seems to be willing as well to be led by one who receives God's anointing and God's favor, and that is his friend David, this young man that we have met tonight as well. In the life of King Saul, we begin to see now his hesitant steps to establish himself as king of Israel. What really is the problem with Saul? Now remember, God did not intend for them originally and ideally to have a king. God intended for the people of Israel to seek him. He was to be their God. In that sense, they were to be self-governing. When a people follows God and he is that ultimate authority, that leaves the people to make the decisions about their daily lives themselves in the context of their relationship with God. They are self-governing, self-disciplined, and self-correcting. But now, instead of that, they wanted a king that would rule them like other nations. That was not to be the experience of Israel. They were to be a different kind of people. What we're reading tonight, the life and times of Saul, is almost 400, a little over 400 years after the people of Israel had entered into the promised land. In the time of the judges, there was no centralized governments. The individual tribes of Israel were to govern and guide themselves. And in time of need, in time of attack, then they would voluntarily come together. God would raise up a leader that they would follow. That was the function of the judges. Now we see that the people want a king. What brought this great nation, America, to greatness is that self-governing, that ability and willingness to take personal responsibility for our lives, caring for our families and our loved ones, helping our neighbor and our fellow men, not depending on a centralized government to tell us what to do and how to live. So that is really what is at stake here. And Saul becomes an example of the kind of leader that Moses, way back in Deuteronomy, tells them that they do not want to have. But the real problem is not just Saul, it's the people. They are willing to live in slavery. A slave is happier being a slave. People are happy when they can depend entirely on the king or on the government to take care of them and make decisions for them. I guess I am just in a broad thinking mode tonight. I've been considering our own country and where we are as a nation, and I cannot help but think, though, what really is going on with Saul. On the personal level, he's an extreme introvert. It may come across as humility and shyness, but he is very much self-absorbed. On the character level, there is something very wanting that keeps him from ruling and being the king of Israel, who is supposed to be an exceptional people, an exceptional nation, living with self-control and self-discipline, and not judge like all the other nations. A tremendous lesson for America The tonight. Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Sophie reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndale House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your financial support is needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas, 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. 
Now don't forget, join us each weekday for The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Start today and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's word. 